Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates. On tonight's show, I have a very special guest. Her name is Roberta Glass. She is an ardent true crime observer, and she has a YouTube channel with a bunch of her uh, talks about certain cases, and we're going to talk about them tonight. Roberta, are you there? Yes. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Again, your YouTube channel is Roberta Glass, all one word, R-O-B-E-R-T-A, Glass, G-L-A-S-S. And you've done some tremendous job on looking at a lot of recent cases, and you and I have been Facebook friends for a while now, and particularly our interests were overlapped with the West Memphis Three, but we also had some news this week. It's March, what is it, the 30th right now? Today is the 30th as we're recording. Uh, It was the release or the vacation of the guilty verdict for Adnan Syed or the serial uh, podcast case that took place in Baltimore, a very famous public case. So uh, Roberta's going to talk a little bit about that. And then we'll also talk about some things that are happening now with this other coverage of uh, Damien Nichols in the West Memphis Three. And it ties together with this character, Bob Ruff, who supposedly has a an inaptly titled podcast called Truth and Justice. But we can talk about that. So, Roberta. Or uh, well entitled. Yes, exactly. Podcast. Exactly. It's like the Ministry of Truth or something like that. But uh, before we get started, Roberta, can you talk a little bit about yourself, please? Um, I am a um, true crime fan. I was um, raised in um, Pennsylvania. Uh, my father was a journalist, then became a screenwriter. Um, I was raised Quaker, even though my father was Jewish, um, and I went to Sarah Lawrence College in New York City and um, worked a bit in film for Danny DeVito for Jersey Films, and then later I moved to magazines where I worked for Oprah, and that's, um, my job there was screening um, screening her mail, uh, part of it, and I got a letter from Amanda Knox family or supporter. And that really sparked my interest in, um, true crime. Gotcha. And what was the letter about Amanda? Was it just plea for, well, it was, well, yeah, it was, well, some of what I did was I was trained by Gavin DeBecker to look at all kinds of communication for possible threats. Um, I live in fear of saying Oprah's name because I, I signed a confidentiality notice and I, I live in fear of that gotcha, <laughs> coming back to haunt me. But um, so I learned how to look at all this stuff for threats. The ideas Gavin DeBecker had was that there are certain things, markers, language, subject matter that you can look for for threats. But with Amanda Knox's um, friend or family's letter, it was this unbelievably persuasive letter about how. It had just happened. She had just um, been arrested and the prosecutor was being investigated for being corrupt and, you know, all these details about her case. And I was fascinated by it and I thought it was a huge miscarriage of justice. And I just started looking into details about the letter and half of it was completely untrue. Some of it was true. Like he was being uh, investigated. Um, the prosecutor was. Um, he was eventually exonerated, Manini, but Manini, yeah, the other half is completely untrue. And um, I followed that case for years, um, mostly with an open mind, but at the end coming to the conclusion that she was guilty. I thought the same thing as well. But a, a good liar, and, and you know, she threw a couple people under the bus. Lumumba, 
the black guy, the bar owner, right? Didn't she like try to put a pin it on him and she was deceptive and uh, yeah, amazing. That's an amazing case too. And if, uh, that position is not a popular position. No, it's not. And um, a lot of it's being fought out on Twitter. And I think that they're following the McCann people who have really turned around public opinion just by being relentless about the truth on Twitter and just having an army of people and the, the uh, people critical of the, uh, I guess, the, I don't even want to say pro-guilty, but the people who feel that Amanda Knox was rightly convicted the first time in the you know three-tier justice system that they had right. um, have been really good about you know putting out facts about the case. There's an excellent website. You know, the truth is out there if you want it. Um, it's just, a, I think it's a complicated case. I think it, had I been more versed in true crime, I may have come to the conclusion that she was guilty earlier, but I think there's a lot of emotion injected into that case. And as a woman, you, I don't know, you just, uh, you know, they put all, they say these, all these things like she was slut shamed and blah, blah, blah. It, it just didn't happen. I mean, her interrogation started with, with cookies and tea. I'm giving their, so how brutal was it, you know? Right. Well, <laughs> I mean, it sounds like a lot of these other cases I've studied where there's a PR people involved and there's a lot of uh, chaff, you know, uh, disguising the wheat, so to speak. But, uh, yeah, that's an amazing case. There's a picture of Amanda Knox with Damien Eccles. Have you ever seen that picture? Yes. Yeah, that's remarkable. It's perfect. Yeah. So, um, and so you, that, the beginning for you was the Amanda Knox case, which had tons of fanfare and everything like that. And then how did you progress from there through Adnan Syed and Damien Eccles? Well, um, I had an experience, um, I always kind of was like a true crime follower, but the Amanda Knox case for years was my big, every book I could get about it, anything I could read about it. Um, but then I was in a um, buyer in 2012 and I almost lost my life. I was in the burn unit for um, seven weeks. I was in a coma for six of those. Oh, wow. And so true crime, when I came out of that experience, I had a lot of, um, Therapy with a speech therapist and a lot of time, a lot of amazing people helped me recover. It, true crime meant something different to me um, because um, I guess when I was in a fire, I had the feeling or thought that I was dying. So I felt when I read true crime after that, I could really connect to the victim. So it meant something more than just like a name or face. I had new respect for life and a uh, new meaning about what it means to take a life. Wow. That's interesting. Well, I'm glad you made it through. It's uh, that's some of those Thank fire you. cases are uh, really traumatic. Yeah. So, um, so then you, that you, I guess you had some time to read, read some true crime books. I yeah. Guess. And when the West Memphis three case, they, that was about a year before I was happy that they got out because all that was all the information I had about that case was that they were wrongly convicted I think people forget how small the minority voice was back then. I think it's changed for the better. I think it's gotten a little, it's still way, you know, way uh, uneven, but it was really hard to find a minority voice, but um, I think it's, I think I listened to maybe, so I wanted to look at both sides of the case 
first thing I found, I think, was an interview with you, Dave McGowan, and Ed Opperman, which is excellent. Um, I read your book, and I, I couldn't believe it. I, I Everything I needed to learn about true crime, or everything I think anybody needs to learn about true crime, they can learn through the West Memphis Three case. Everything about what PR does, what money does, how you convince the public, how you can obscure the facts of a case, you can learn through the West Memphis Three case. Agreed. Yeah, those are excellent points. I mean, it's all really there. I mean, I, I did, devoted a small chapter in my book to the court of public opinion, but, you know, the court of public opinion can influence these in court cases. Like, uh, I think serial is a perfect example, making of a murderer, those cases, how that, that whole series on Netflix garnered this massive, you know, outrage that this guy, I can't remember his name was unjustly convicted, but you look at the court case, those there's damning evidence about his involvement in, can't remember that girl who passed away, but yeah. So, oh. um, yeah, that's interesting. Are you talking about serial? Uh, no, serial. What was making of a murder? It was the cases that were up. In oh, the, making in the, a murder. Teresa Hallback. Teresa Hallback. Thank you. Yeah. So I felt like that was another one where there was some deceptive, non, uh, non-factual in, investigation into that case. So anyway, and can we talk about the, um, the similarities between that and serial? Yes. In that they were both made by women to uh, with an absolutely one-sided account to make uh, a man who brutally murdered a woman look good. Yeah, it's interesting. For what do you and what do you think that their motives were to create, uh, you know, a an uproar of of opinion or just to get attention? What do you think their their motives was? That serial. Was a, it was an NPR case too, right? Wasn't it published right. through NPR? Well, I have a friend in New York who knows one of the filmmakers of um, uh, Making a Murderer, and I, I don't know if I should tell the story, but I will. <laughs> she um, she's a gay woman, and she knew her um, at Columbia, and she said that she had a girlfriend who was cheating on her, and every single one of her friends told her she her girlfriend was cheating on her, and she just shut down and wouldn't believe it. So I think that applies to how she made Making a Murderer. She dug into the defense with an idea and just denied anything that that made him look bad. Made him culpable. Gotcha. That's interesting. Yeah, made him culpable. Thank you. But yeah, but you can you can make those across the line on the, the three documentaries for HBO, for the West Memphis Three, Making a Murderer and Serial, all have those similarities where... They either have an agenda or a preset thing where they're not looking at all the facts, in my opinion. Well, I think also you have to say that there is no successful podcast or documentary about a true crime case, about a rightful conviction. There's just no mystery in that. And there are no awards in that. There's no prestige and there's no money. And we got the right guy. He was convicted. And I think the left, oh, excuse me loves the um, story that our justice system is terrible and that this is another case of our uh, criminal justice system run amok. Bungling it, right. Yeah, That's a good point. I mean, I think that that's a strong narrative on those West Memphis Three documentaries, you know, making fun of the Arkansas justice system and the, the hicks that are running it. And especially if that was part of the PR, tra- uh, PR strategy as well. So, but yeah, so... These, I mean, these cases are amazing. Knox, Serial, Making a Murder, West Memphis Three. 
And this guy, Adnan, just got out of jail or he had the thing vacated. What's your, how did you follow the serial case? Um, my sister-in-law mentioned it to me and she said uh, she wasn't sure. She was listening to it. She wasn't sure what to think and um, have a listen. And the first episode uh, I listened to, the minute um, Adnan came on and started talking, I was like, unfortunately, I had the experience of dealing with grifters or I don't know what you call it, low lifes in my life. And he sounded like every low life I've ever met, right to the um, obsession with you can't prove that I'm lying, you know. Right. And uh, Sarah uh, Koenig does a lot of makes a lot of effort to say how honest he is because he's obsessed with being able to verify what he says. But that's just a real that's like a really street. Like, for example, like if I if we were sitting together and I stole your wallet, right? Right. Or your wallet went missing and we and it was just two of us in the room. You'd be like, where did my wallet go? I don't know. But you can't prove it was me. Right. It's like a low life move. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. So you yeah, sound like a low life. But I withheld judgment. But I just my my initial impression was like this is a really naive woman getting taken in by a low life manipulate manipulative scumbag then i'm not mincing words here but that's i mean that, i couldn't believe it i thought is this like the most naive person ever <laughs> right i mean i, I kind of got that same <laughs> feel i actually couldn't finish the podcast series because i just felt like it was just pretty clear after i read outside of that podcast what had happened that his accomplice admitted to everything you know told the story in detail and got all the facts right can't remember his name. Right, but he was the one everyone said was a liar. And I'm not saying that that guy doesn't lie, but I would trust him more than I, I would trust Jay more than I would trust Adnan. And the fact that Sarah Koenig never said Heyman Lee's, hardly ever brought in Heyman Lee, didn't, you know, give an episode to her, just didn't deal with her at all and minimized her and said, oh, she was just sort of like, her journal is sort of like a 16-year-old, typical 16-year-old girl. And that, and what I thought the message was to the audience was Adnan is extraordinary. Heyman Lee is, was just ordinary. So it's no big deal that she was murdered. That's I, I was so enraged by that podcast that that's why I, I started. I mean, that was the idea. When I started recording my podcast, I really just wanted, I was so shocked that that no one had recorded anything about this. Nobody, I know Ann Brocklehurst, who's wonderful, had written some really good articles about it, but hardly anybody was talking. And the people at The Intercept nearly lost their jobs just trying to show the other side. Really? I, didn't, I wasn't aware of that. What, what writer yeah. was it? Green? wasn't him. Who, who were the writers? Do you recollect? Oh, I don't off the top of my head. What ha- so what happened? They wrote something. But something he did for- write an essay about it that I can send to you about how he went up against the powers that be at the Intercept over that. Interesting. I they did like two um, big interviews with, I think, two one big interview with Jay and maybe two with the prosecutor. Interesting. I, didn't, I wasn't aware of that. Wow. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I guess those are the same case. I mean, it's tough to take the the state's position, you know, the prosecutor's position on all these cases. So I guess that's another example of that. And and that kind of ties in the serial case also ties into Bob Ruff, who's currently for people who don't know is doing a long, extremely drawn out 
so-called <laughs> so-called investigation of the West Memphis three case that is he bounces all over the place. Um, you know, and sometimes I hear he's going to be investigating the source of the Beverly Hills 90210 music next. Uh, probably next, that's uh, probably where we're going to head. Right. Cause that's, uh, what the, in this case, it was something there was, yeah, it was the nine Oh, it was the 90210 <laughs> show that had that, that How had was the it ball composed? that proved everything. Who were the musicians? Maybe yeah. in some few oh, interviews of them. Oh Lord. Yeah. That's, uh, that's just that's just craziness. So anyway, he's doing a lot, and he was his first. He cut his teeth on the serial case of doing a podcast on there that apparently got him a bunch of attention. And he he says that, and and this is what I found out recently on Reddit is that he his his alibi that that proves that Adnan didn't do it was based upon the receipts at a. I think it's a receipts at a store that didn't exist, right? Isn't that what that people investigated and found out? Right. So, right. So, or the, um, lens crafters. Yeah, right? the lens crafters alibi. So, can you talk a little bit? Are you familiar with that, or did you read that? I did read that. Um, he he lied. That's not. I'm not. Um, I think it's the. He also. What I think is okay. Can we before we talk about uh, Bob Ruff? Can we talk about what the state of the world is? Yes. That we have a guy who made his bones on solving solved cases. Yes, we can talk about that. I mean, <laughs> he solves solved cases. Where there's a solved case, where there's a conviction, he's there to investigate it. To investigate it, right. I mean... With no credentials, but just, I mean, you know... I'm a critic. I, I sit back from the sidelines, you know. Yeah, he mean, puts he, himself in the in the role of, of an investigator. I just think it's absurd. Well, I mean, he has the yeah. West Memphis Three are twice convicted, right. as you point out so many times. A legal rarity. They pled guilty, yeah. but he's gonna he's gonna figure out who. It's got to be somebody else, right? Right. The unsub, right? The unknown subject. <laughs> But and the interesting thing is he's already taken so like one of the more recent so-called perpetrators was uh it was not Byers but what's his name uh what was the story that were three guys having homosexual relationships or four guys and that was they got, Hobbs yeah that's Hobbs. Terry Hobbs it's like what a was, family secret type right, thing the, or? the Hobbs family secret but who was Hobbs's friend what was his name is it Zachary I can oh darn. But you know he's already said that he's an honorable man. Anyway, Bob Jacoby. Is, yeah, Jacoby. So he says Jacoby couldn't do it. So he's kind of like already in his mind taken him out of the possible perp thing. But Bob Ruff is involving himself very deeply in the individuals of this case. He's already been seen talking to Eccles. He has traveled to go talk to Jason Baldwin. I believe he's talked to Miss Kelly. So he's definitely not having an objective. Uh, objective analysis of this case in any way shape or form and and i don't want to get off topic like i have been but um sarah koenig said that she was doing an uh, objective investigation into adnan's case but there is a letter from her to rabia who was adnan's (laughs) Adnan's advocate saying that she would not um record serial or produce serial unless she believed he was innocent Wow. So it's not unusual to present it 
like their objective and they don't have an opinion and have a strong opinion and are really making an advocacy piece. Well, that's an excellent point because somebody went back, I think it was one of these West Memphis three researchers, Fred Walsh, who caught Bob Ruff writing on one thread that he was hoping for an exoneration. And I think that this, this, this was written last year. So 2017. So he already had this, this view that, um, you know, that he, he has an outcome. And he also in his blurb for the show says, you know, there's three, these three guys convicted for a crime they didn't commit, which is right out of, you know, the PR team's handle. So yeah, so he's already been caught uh, seeing this. Um, so yeah, and, and so I think it. he lost a lot of credibility with the red. I mean, you can't put anything past the Reddit people. I really enjoy Reddit. Oh, they're smart. Um, sure. Because there's really a debate that goes on, on, and people tend to back up their opinions with you know a source material, or they point some you know they point you somewhere, you know. Right. Um, but when he started lying about the LensCrafter story, the Reddit community caught him. And when he concluded that this boyfriend of Heyman Lee's Don was really the real killer, he really lost credibility with most of the, I, I, I can't say most, I don't know what percent, but with at least some percent of the Redditors that it was just ridiculous that he couldn't back it up. He, it's just, he had to conclude something. He picked Don because it had to be not anon. Because Anon, he said himself that he uh, related to Anon or he identified with him. And he seems to identify with Eccles, too. Yeah. So I have meditated on the thought that maybe, you know, with women, you have um, hebristophilia. Right. Uh, with maybe he has some kind of uh, love of mur- murderers or envy of murderers. He's certainly is sitting on a ton of anger. Did you listen to episode 122? I did. That? I did. He was very... Uh vociferous about you know making his statements i did listen to that i thought that was so interesting because i felt like the man slipped you know all these it's not like he comes out and says i'm doing an advocacy piece or i want to exonerate these guys it's always i'm looking at both sides i'm looking at the minutiae all he does is look at the minutiae oh because anything like six confessions from miss kelly he's not going to do an episode about that Nothing, none of the really important evidence is he's going to really examine. He's always going to point everybody elsewhere. That's why I call him Sideshow Bob. But (laughs) that's a good uh, nickname. Yeah. But uh, I don't know. I lost my train of thought. No, it's okay because I I was going to read this. This is 122 episode. Yeah. It's always like with this really, really calm voice. And there's this inner, uh, I guess, debate with Ann Brocklehurst where he's mansplaining his position to her. You know, with his soft voice. And 122, it's like all that anger that I, I feel like he's sitting on normally just came up and showed itself. And I was like, oh, there it is. There, That's that, that's what's under all this. Under all this. Like so, just tremendous anger and aggression. So this is what he wrote on his Truth and Justice October 18th, 2017. So he says, Truth and Justice is less than three weeks away from taking on a new case. This may be our biggest challenge yet. For 24 years, the, no, I'm not done. For 24 years, the murders of Stevie Branch, Michael Moore, and Christopher Byers remained unsolved. Uh, no, three. No, this, this is. I'm reading this. I'm not making this up. Three men continued to struggle through life as convicted murderers for crimes they did not commit. 
Hashtag West Memphis 3. Yeah, they're struggling so much that they're looking for the real killer uh, in Johnny Depp's, you know, Jet, Colorado honestly, yeah. ski lounge. Yeah, they went down to they, uh, they went down to New Zealand with Peter Jackson to see his filming of, <laughs> what, of the uh, Lord of the Rings. Must, yeah, the killer was down there in the rest. cast. Remember the oh, we got to talk about the. Uh, the the uh, PR the PR event when they got released. Oh, they yeah, let's do rest. that. But let me let me just read something else too. This was t- this is yeah. what I was talking about about Fred Walsh. Walsh. This is what I'm he sorry. screenshotted and sent to me. When I, and this is Bob Ruff. Quote: When I take on a case, I start from scratch. Everyone starts with a presumption <laughs> of innocence, and we reinvestigate from the very begin. Period. I don't know what that word is. For me, it is a cold case. I have to look at it that way. An unsolved case. Period. If I thought everyone got it right, resulting in the case being closed, I wouldn't take the case to begin with. Response, that's fair. I consider that might be the case. I wasn't sure. Does that? And then Brooke Simons writes, does that mean you expect it to be reopened and justice served? Is that the purpose? Bob Ruff, that's the hope. So he's going gunning for reopen exoneration. <laughs> I don't know the date of that, but that's an incredible admission for somebody saying, we just haven't gotten to the end yet. So He wasn't sure, though. No, yeah, he wasn't sure. He's, saying that. he's devoting all this time, but he's still not sure. Not sure, but but that, he wouldn't do it if he wasn't sure. He but was, he's not sure. This last one where he said, "I was surprised at how many, how strong his alibi is with the seven people." <laughs> I was like, "Are you out of your mind, dude? This is so crazy." <laughs> and he's, I mean, uh, anyway. So, um, yeah, he's you want to really talk? He's deserving of being mocked. Yeah, he's. He, We're I too mean, polite he's, in there. Somebody be asked me. Mocked. Yeah, somebody asked me. Why aren't you responding? And I just said, this guy is giving enough rope to hang him, you know, over and over and over again forever. I mean, it's just so much material there. He just keeps going and going and going. Like, hey, man, you know, you might want to pull back, but I don't think he's going to. So um, I think somebody's going to, I mean, people are starting to critique him already. So he's in, he's, uh, I think he's in real trouble. <laughs> I'm serious. I think that the guy, I, I think remember that, when he started, when he goes, uh, my listeners want me to look back again at Damien Echoes. <laughs> oh That's what he said. He started when they wanted me to look, re-look at that guy who pled guilty, who lies about his case constantly. constantly. I mean, what are the chances uh, that three guys, two of them would, would fail a lie detector, whatever you think about lie detectors, right. all three of them would have no alibis. Three innocent guys on the same day have no alibis. Well, that's, that's also something that started with cereals. That is just like normal not to remember where you were. Where you were. We all live in a sort of amnesia state right. when like our he, lives are on the line. Yeah, he had to call, he had to wait three days for his mom to come up with an alibi, right? So, I mean, that was another thing that you could just have a quick question to during this last podcast. Like, okay, the seventh, no alibi. Tenth, we got one. I got seven people. And uh, Eccles also has two different <laughs> alibis because he's either the, over at the friend's house or on the phone. It can't be both. So he has a very he has two different alibis, but he just uses them in different environments. Which one is it? Were you over at your parents' friend's house or were you on the phone? And all those phone <laughs> alibis are they they just all fell through. It's all sad. And on the stand they asked him about stuff that he knew about the case. Where'd you getting it? it? Wasn't in the newspaper. He says, Well, yeah, I'm just making it up. I was just making it. I mean, he's caught in all kinds of lies. Anyway. Yeah, um, he was caught on the stand moving the time. I mean, I was just reading Eccles, you know, and I think there's a brilliance of Bob Ruff, you know, Bob Ruff says, you know, admits in one episode that he's not too bright. And when people make disparaging remarks about themselves, uh, you know, my ears perk up. 
tend to listen, but he is brilliant at just piling on the minutia so that you feel like you don't know the case anymore. Yeah, I agree. You're like, what case are we talking about? The, I'm like the McStays or, you know, that is this dog catcher, yeah. a, a, a central figure in this case. And I didn't realize it. Like, uh, it's amazing. It's amazing. It's really, it's really brilliant because everybody's afraid to speak because they feel like they'll be embarrassed because his details on the minutia are so amazing that he will shut you down with, you know, whatever. I know exactly where this is. You know, I was there. Did you see the pictures of him with the pig in the water? That he had, he was yeah, and then when butt. he said he said very confidently to the Reddit crowd, well, no, you don't understand the situation with the lens crafters. It was closed, and then it moved, and then I ta- and, the, and the people that didn't know what, what was going on were like, no, that's just straight up a lie. Yeah, didn't he say that Like he talked to people even after the, the place moved because they went to another lens crafters that he called? Like he had some kind yeah. of like, like a graphic... Uh, end around to try to explain everything it didn't make sense um yeah this whole this bob rough truth and justice is uh it's incredible but, i mean it, it's popular i can't believe it yeah, and I, people come on i mean you know i have a tiny little you know podcast but people come on all the time angry angry with me about the west memphis three in what way you know they don't have any anything to back up their opinion mostly it's about how i should just shut up shut my mouth interesting and not talk but i think that's just being well i had I mean, somebody took one of my posts that i posted on facebook and, and post pasted it into his thread and hordes of his followers came after me and were insulting me i got threatened by one and you know i was like what's going on this, I, this, this don't you understand what i wrote and I posted all my yeah, videos. I, that yeah, I put they up. called you mostly like a crazy Christian. Crazy Christian, had, loopy. They put all these gifts on there like I was crazy. And, you know, I'm like, all I do is write and tell facts. I don't know how much time. Anyway, yeah, so that was. But you know how much he makes per How month? many footnotes are in your book? I mean, it's quite footnoted. I'm at least for 350 or 400 in that book. I heavily yeah. footnote all my books, actually. So I know. I, I mean, and those are all go back to the case files and all these cases. But the. Uh, he makes sixteen hundred bucks a month just from Patreon, so he has enough people following him to support him in that way. And you know, he probably gets all these other revenue streams. So he's he's got a sizable, like you said, he's got a sizable, popular podcast. I know, and people like accuse people. I guess they call guilters. Huh. There is no pleasure in having this opinion. I agree. You know, if you are a pro innocence person. There's a lot of action, you know, maybe, you know, court cases coming up. Maybe you'll break them out of prison, you know, perhaps celebrities, you know, money, high profile documentaries. There is no pleasure in having this position. Yeah, I can attest to that. No question. Yeah, I mean, really, especially you. I mean, I don't think people realize how how much um, grief you get, you know, people get put, especially you. Me or Trench Reynolds. Uh, West Memphis Three Guild yeah, yeah. It's uh sometimes you feel like you're putting a hand up your hands up to stop a tsunami, you know? It just comes over you. You just can't even stop. Like, come on. I keep I you know I have a book. Read my book. Oh no, I'm I'm convinced, you know. Uh, Jesse Miss Kelly's twelve hour confession. He was tortured, you know, all this stuff. It just doesn't make sense. Just, yeah, he keeps referring Bob Ruff keeps referring to it as one confession. One. Yeah. Yeah, it's sad. 
Um, yeah. Uh, one of the interesting things is one of his supporters, which I was trying to lead to on the Patreon, one of his supporters is Damien oh. Eccles. So Damien Eccles, the subject of his podcast that's supposed to be objective, I assume, is a guy convicted child killer. So Because you know Damien Eccles doesn't give to any anything that doesn't benefit him. Well, right. That was the greatest find out of his uh, letters. I mean, one of them was where he wrote, um, I'm no longer going to give any energy to anything that doesn't benefit myself. Was that, that is a power phrase, but was, you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean it's all that, about me and making money and fuck every, oh, excuse me, you know, yeah, F yeah, everybody else. Well, it's amazing because there's all of those statements that he wrote in his social, when his uh, disability thing, I'm a sociopath. Was that in the, was that where he wrote it? Was in his. Uh, yes. And uh, I'm a sociopath yeah. and I'm, I'm a um, homicidal. Yeah. I'm a homicidal. In his own handwriting and into his caretakers in the mental <laughs> hospital. But we can write, we can rationalize that away by, um, you know, he's just a troubled kid, just like a normal troubled teenager. Yeah, let's look at his profile, Terry Hobbs. That's the profile that Bob Rupp wants to do. He wants to ignore Damien Eccles' psychological profile. 500-page cycle. Killing cats with firecrackers and, uh, you know, beating a dog to death. Right, the Great Dane Starting fire. He's on a drug. I've often wondered about bedwetting because impuramine is a bedwetting drug in addition to being a... uh, Being a... uh, and early antidepressant. Right. He's on that. He's his own parents are afraid he's going to hurt kids. Right. But let's look at Terry Hobbs. He might have, you know, I don't know what. The hair, the hair tells the story. The hair's there. DNA, CSI. Effects, <laughs> the hair matches. The one hair means everything. It doesn't people. matter. You know, I could leave a hair at my bank, and if it gets robbed, I could go to jail because the public would think, hey, he's got a piece of his hair. I mean, it's ridiculous stuff. Anyway, um. Anything else you want to talk about? The West Memphis Three. What to, what are the titles of your stuff? It's uh, Sideshow Sideshow Bob Ruff and the West Memphis Three. Um, who are the other ones? West Memphis Three case solved. So that's the Bob Ruff got it. Yeah, cool. I was hoping I'd call it that so I'd get people. You know, I wasn't just preaching to the converted. You know. Right. And then the cult of Damien Eccles, which uh, is a proper term. I mean, he's a member of the OTO, so you know he's in the cult. Yeah, I, I think it, I think he has a cult like a cult leader personality. Yeah, I mean and, that's that's actually what uh, Fogelman said in his summation was that this guy's like Charles Manson. You know, get a get a clue. Do you ever listen? I to actually the- like Charles Manson. I mean, not that I like him, but I find him. You know, I I, I warm to him more. I mean, Damien. I think at least he had a little bit more creativity than Damien Eccles. You know? did, did you ever listen to the Fogelman um, summation? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Anyone? Um, yeah. So. But yeah. I, mean, I think also a lot of what comes up in the West Memphis Three is um, on the PR side is anti-Christian. I mean, I I I'm, I don't have the gift of faith, but I'm respectful of people who do. You know, anti-Christian and anti-Southerners. I mean, in America, I believe we're still fighting the Civil War. And it's okay to just call them all dumb hicks, you know? And that's that goes along with the PR line. The, the sort of they were just, they didn't understand Damien Eccles' eccentricities right. and uh, high IQ because they were all a bunch of dumb hicks. 
Right, and I think that also fits into the three documentaries, you know. You've got these uh, Los Angeles, you know, West Coast types looking down on Arkansas, and it's a lot easier a lot easier to kind of caricature them, I think. And some of the clippings and, you know, some of the, the way that uh, Berlinger and Sanofsky edited stuff, edited stuff, I think was intentionally to, to make, at least there's one edit with Burnett where he's pissed, you know, and it, I think that they were strategic in making them look bad during that documentary, at least the first one. Can we talk about the um, PR conference when the West Memphis Three got out? Yes. Have you watched that? I just watched that recently. I've watched it over and over. Well, just to go they back, because when you, them. yeah, just they one thing. Applauding child killers. Oh yeah, it's it's incredible. You just pled guilty. And if you read uh, the confessions, it's, they're really hard to stomach. I mean, they make me cry. Jesse Miss Kelly's confessions. They're so, especially Baldwin, is so, so cruel, yeah. needlessly cruel and, and brutal to these kids. And here are these educated people just applauding these child killers. And it shows that their PR was one of their, you know, one of the strategies was this PR. When they go through and they had that public, you know, statement of the case where John Douglas gets up there and talks. They were very clever because they did that whole PR thing in a courtroom with the background of a judge's table. So it conveyed kind of to the general populace that they were in this courtroom, which they never, which they could have ended up going to court and then showed their so-called evidence. But the PR strategy of getting in the court with Reardon, Douglas, and them chatting was really remarkable. And some people don't key into that. You know, they don't see that PR. They, they think that that's actually legit. Bob Ruff thinks John Douglas is, you know, the greatest person on earth, which, and also he talks up spits too, which is really crazy. Um, these guys. Do you who, know what uh, Dominic Dunn called the, the experts that come into uh, high profile crime cases? He called them whores of the court. It's accurate. So, I mean, that somebody so can, I think, yeah. like, when I think of Jim Clemente and John Douglas, who were, you know, sort of hired to do PR and lie, because all you can do when the facts are against you is lie. Right. You know? Okay. Or pay somebody lie to do or it withhold, for you. Lie and withhold them and point elsewhere. That's basically the technique that they all use. It's, it's just incredible. You know, Bob Ruff, I saw a picture of him. He's hanging out with the guys at Real Crime Profile, Clemente and... These other ones, and they got it wrong too. True crime garbage, true crime garage, real. True oh, crime. I I couldn't listen to that one. Yeah. I just couldn't stomach it. That was a tough one too. I think they mentioned my name in there or something. I don't know, whatever. Um, but yeah, Clemente's. It's just sad. You know, you've done other cases. You talked about John Bonet, Michael Peterson, uh, Tonya Harding. What are your thoughts on the John Bonet case? Well, what's interesting about the John Bonet case is that. People who believe it's a kidnapping believe everything about what the parents say they did that night, everything except what's in the note. So none of the people believe that it was a foreign faction right. <laughs> that's busting out words like countermeasures and attache and hence, you know, right. yeah. foreigners. Uh, so... Uh, that's what I find very interesting is that the note is the center to that piece. And I think that uh, actually Jim Clemente comes, it's interesting how the true crime world is, is its own world. And Jim Clemente comes up again and right. he's 
um, pointing the finger at Burke. And I'm not really buying that. And the reason I'm not buying that is I don't think there's ever been another case where parents have staged an elaborate scene Mm -hmm. to point the fingers away from their child who's a murderer. Interesting. So what, what's your position? What's the, I think it's probably one of the parents. I don't think it, I read the book um, called the foreign faction all about how it's Burke and he had trouble and blah, blah, blah. I think, I think pedophilia or um, incest is central in that case. I don't think we want to talk about incest in this country. And so it makes everybody feel relaxed to say it was just the bad seed brother. Well, didn't they, this didn't Cyril Weck say that? A, uh, yeah, didn't Cyril Weck say that if somebody had done a like medical exam on John Bonet, the dad would have gone to jail if she was still alive? Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, she had she uh, she had um, all the signs of being molested in the last. I think in the last. I, I don't want to say the. I don't want to be inaccurate, but. I believe it was in the last 48 hours, but check that. Interesting. So recently, and she had also had frequent urinary tract infections. She also bedwet, which is also a frequent thing. Children who have, um, have been, um, who are molested. And it just, it just, to me, nobody wants to think that parents who speak well, who are successful, would be molesting their their children. It's all an image game, just like Amanda Knox was, you know, sold as the girl next door. Right. Damien Eccles was sold as the um, outsider, outsider, the the misfit. You know, right. these are kind of it sold as like you know parents who cared for their kids, and maybe they did, but there's definitely some dysfunction and some really dark stuff going on. Dark stuff, yeah, really dark. Yeah, that case. And Clemente, I think, is getting sued by Burke, right? Aren't they? Aren't? Isn't there some kind of lawsuit, if I remember correctly? Yeah, yeah. Burke is su- is suing them, and and. Uh, but Burke was doing. He doesn't yeah, have a case, right? Yeah, I don't know. Burke was doing some weird stuff too, so maybe he was also. Yeah, a, I mean, he's weird. The family is yeah. weird. Yeah. But I mean, to say that Burke did all that molestation and that it, you know, I just. I, I, you know, people have left me comments and they say, oh, yeah, I know of tons of cases where the parents have covered up for their kids. Because these are, in my opinion, these are really narcissistic parents who care about themselves. They're not on TV talking about Burke, 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 or son. They're talking about themselves. Themselves, right. They barely mention, you know, Jean Benet's name. They're interested in themselves and saving themselves, not saving their kid. They're going to risk prison to save their kid. Yeah, and also, you know, there's a lot of physical evidence that connects at least, you know, uh, that the mother, her coat on the um, fibers on the duct tape that um, was used on JonBenet's mouth, you know, things like that. That she was so, in, involved in the cover-up. Yeah. yeah, involved in it. Yeah, that's... Involved in it. And her handwriting, uh, if you listen to the handwriting, you know, Trisha Griffith, Griffith has done a tremendous podcasts. Uh, about this, where she interviews the handwriting mm-hmm. um, analysis that they discredited in this really shady way. And I think she had over 200, it may be more, 
um, similarities of Patsy's handwriting and the note. But now that they've discredited, they they went to a judge with all this wrong information to say that she didn't have the credentials, which she did. But now every time they talk about, I'm sorry, I can't remember her name. Uh, remember as soon as uh, I get off the phone, but um, they have to say, well, she's been discredited every time she's, uh, you know, interviewed or they bring up her evidence, which is, you you just look at it and you can see that how similar they are. But it's her handwriting. I've always thought it was Patsy Ramsey's handwriting, you know, and her style and the weird words and stuff like that. How would she know the bonus, right? The wife would know. And hence was in a Christmas card. But right, is it is the, probably one of the most fascinating true crime cases because even if we knew the who, we don't, you know, it's also the why. The why, yeah. Like there's just weird stuff going on inside that family, the family dynamic. It's just crazy. I mean, I think that John Bonet died being, being, or supposedly got hit with the flashlight, right? Right. 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 So, like, there might have been some kind of pattern of like not just sexual abuse but physical abuse and then it just went over the edge well cyril Wack feels like that the that the strangulation was some kind of sex play <laughs> i don't know if he sold me completely on that it's an interesting theory you know cyril Wack. i cover cyril Wack twice because he was involved in two cases for my movie the smiley face killers so he uh still around it's in pittsburgh he's involved smart in guy yeah, really smart. Right. Law degree and medical degree. That's uh, it's heavy lifting. Yeah. Um, do you want to talk? What, what are your thoughts? Did you watch Itonia? Itonia? Yeah. Did you oh, see the yeah. movie? So what are Actually, your thoughts? Actually, my brother, uh, my older brother asked me to do that uh, podcast. I saw Itonia, and uh, it's the only time in a movie theater that I've actually talked out loud at the screen. <laughs> back at the screen I didn't mean to but when she did that speech about how uh, America had become her abuser I just felt it was too much and I was like oh come on you know, I don't know exactly what I said but I just couldn't believe it I just felt it was you're making a hero out of someone who just consist, constantly lies All right. and you know I think my One of my big issues with Damien Eccles or Adnan Saeed or Tanya Harding is that they prolong the suffering of everybody and their own suffering because they can't admit to what they did and let everybody heal and move on and do the time. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. That's an excellent point. I mean, they really look at this whole drawn out West Memphis three. We're at 25 years. Still, people are fighting and suffering and talking about it. A case that's been solved, you know? So it's crazy. And the Moore family, I mean, the pain of, of I mean, you know, the pain yeah. that they're going through and these movies are getting nominated. And when I saw that Adnan Saeed is getting a new trial, which I don't think that the prosecution will want to um, try that case. I think he will get an Alfred plea because uh, Rabia has advocate based her idea for serial on the West Memphis three case. I didn't know that. So it follows very closely that trajectory. And um, so I just think that it just goes, the 
the pain and suffering when people are on Reddit saying, we won, isn't it great, woohoo. I wonder if they've experienced loss or suffering and they know that they're really celebrating a, a murderer and murderer. a loss of a life. A senseless yeah. loss And that's of a kind life. of what gets lost in a lot of these stories is the victim, right? Just like you said earlier, especially in the serial case. Well, I think that's you a know, great... Oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. No, I was just going to kind of wrap it up. What else do you want to oh, say? I just think that that's a great kind of bookend to our hour-long conversation right there. But uh, you're, So I get people over to your YouTube channel. It is Roberta Glass, all one word, R-O-B-E-R-T-A-G-L-A-S-S. I highly recommend all of these uh, podcasts that you've done on a variety of subjects, particularly the West Memphis Three. And you're also on Thank Facebook you. and do a lot of posts there, um, or some posts, at least we used to. Um, yeah. anything else you'd like to add? No, this has been a real pleasure, uh, talking about this stuff. Yeah. Likewise. I, I really, you have great insights into all these cases. So I really appreciate you taking the time to share your information with the audience. Thank you. Thank you. All right. We're done. That's it. I'm, I'm just going to edit that out. I'm going to actually put it together and then, um,